What's up, everyone, and thanks for joining us for this latest edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. It's Friday, February 2nd, and we've got an exciting episode 178 of the show on tap. We're going to be handing down our final verdicts for 2023. We're also going to be debuting our way too early power rankings for 2024. Okay, and I got to admit, though, it's felt like a really long week for me. I know I'm traveling uh, this weekend to call a couple of college basketball games. How about you? Got any big uh, plans for the weekend? Not too many major, major plans. Major plans as far as my own friend group. I'm taking my first golf lesson this weekend, which a lot of my friends will likely be excited about. So that was a good gift. Shout out to my mom for giving me that. I'm taking my first swing lesson. So we'll do that. Might catch a movie. My movie theater by me is playing some of the Oscar nominated movies I missed this year you know i'm a big movie buff so just a, a chill weekend a little bit of golf a little bit of movies definitely excited about it oh and we haven't yet talked about it but you got some sweet tickets on, on wednesday night to go watch the lakers play the hawks you got to see lebron james in action so uh you've already had a pretty good week definitely a solid one gotta shout out my boy matt for that too he gave me that opportunity on a, on a silver platter and I, I had to take advantage of it i hadn't seen lebron play since i was like a child and i barely remember it so definitely always great to see the king yeah, I got to see him before he uh, retires. So maybe maybe when him and Bronny are playing on the same team, I'll try to make it out to a game. But right. uh, before we go any farther, here's a quick plug for Wednesday's show. We wrapped up our in-review series uh, where you and I spoke you know, with the radio voices for all 14 Sunbelt teams about the 2023 seasons for their squads. We spoke with the voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker. That was a great conversation, as well as uh, the voice of the Warhawks, Mike Hammett. Uh, if you missed either of those episodes, definitely suggest going back and giving them a listen on Apple or Spotify. But getting listeners of this show, they know that I'm a sucker for a good series. And this was our second year doing our in-review series. Last year, we did it with the media members. That was a lot of fun. But this year was the radio voices. And I feel like, honestly, partner, we raised the bar a little bit here. And for me, just the the depth of the knowledge and, and the passion that these radio voices had for each of their schools, it really showed through. And I felt like we learned a lot uh, talking to them in that series. Yeah, we definitely learned so much, and the passion definitely stands out for me, too. It's clear that these radio voices care about the program. A lot of them were tenured for a super long time and have seen generations of football at these different schools. And I think in an age where there's a lot of people talking about football, a lot of people having opinions, not always right opinions, a lot of guys who don't know ball, these guys that we talked to definitely know ball. So it was great hearing them talk on the surface level about the X's and O's and also just pulling back the curtain and talking about some of those behind the scenes narratives we wouldn't have known about. So I think as far as the general scope we got from every single program and every single season that we had in the Sunbelt from all those teams, we couldn't ask for a better drop from those radio voices than what we got. Yeah, Kane, I think just to the interview that we did with JT Crabtree with South Alabama, we obviously saw the struggles that that team had in terms of consistency on the field. And you know, he mentioned it was a, it was a leadership issue, and you say, well, there was a ton of returners. Well, not a lot of those returners had had uh, leadership experience in the past. So I thought that that was kind of an interesting nugget that without having boots on the ground and being uh, amongst that team, you probably wouldn't have known. But Cato, we decided here as we get set to you know wrap up this series that when you review some teams, the only you know the best way to do it is then to hand down some final verdicts and. You and I had some fun, you know, kind of divvying up some of these teams into some different categories. Uh, you know, we we looked at who was our most impressive team, who was that most disappointing team, Southern Miss. Uh, make sure you uh, you don't watch that session of uh, of these final verdicts. And you know, lastly, we looked at you know who were the teams that you know finished the best and, and who finished the worst. So, Kaden, let's jump in and, and start with most impressive. You and I went back and forth on picking teams and. 
our listeners aren't going to be surprised for who I took for most impressive. Uh, I went with the James Madison Dukes. This is a team that they go 11-2 and in their second season at the FBS level. They started the season 10-0 and before your boys from Boone uh, dethroned them. Uh, they also got to host college game day and, and had the largest crowd ever. We heard Pat McAfee and Reese Davis talk about how great of an experience that was. And Kanan, let's just be honest, with James Madison, we have witnessed one of the most successful FBS transitions over the last two years. So they were they had to be my most impressive team this year. Definitely a great pick. No, you can't go wrong with the Dukes. For, but for my most impressive team, I had to go with this Troy team. I know from personal experience how hard it is to repeat as a champion. And the fact that this team was able to do it, they never had a doubt. We doubted them, but they definitely didn't doubt it in their own building. You can feel that when we were there down there for the championship game. Coach Summerall absolutely doubled down on his culture from his first year. Gunnar Watson showed improvement. Kamani Vidal had a breakout year. Chris Lewis was shining at wide receiver. And Jabray Barber was one yard away from having a thousand yard season after being injured from the season before. So the offense took a huge leap. We did not expect it on the defensive side of the ball. We thought they'd take a step back without guys like Carlton Marshall, without Craig Slocum, KJ Roberts, and TJ Harris. Not a problem. This team found a way to maintain their standard on defense, if not be better, maybe holding teams to 17 points per game around 300 yards again. This repeat championship run, I think, is why Troy had to be my most impressive team as far as superlatives go this year. Ah, let's be honest, Caden. You're always going to take a team that has a great defense, and, and Troy had a great defense this year. And, and like you said, that offense took a big step forward. And, uh, for me, that's a good pick. I think that was uh, you know, kind of who I would have expected uh, you took there. Well, let's move on to uh, our biggest surprise category here, Caden. I know you've got a team uh, out of the Sunbelt West that you really enjoyed watching this year. Yeah, biggest surprise has to go to Texas State. I mean, when you look at G.J. Kinney calling his shot, we didn't see it coming, but he called his shot this offseason. He got our attention through the transfer portal, kind of making himself that Deion Sanders of the portal, if you will, except for his team did a lot better than Colorado did. They went from four and eight to an eight and five season, a historic year, the best offense in the conference by far, as far as yards per game, points per game. They get the big power five win to start the season over uh, off against Baylor. I think this team just thoroughly impressed me, especially from the offensive standpoint, I think they have some improvement and some work to do on the defensive side of the ball, which we'll talk about later. But I was just thoroughly impressed with how this team was able to make a statement and kind of put the entire conference on notice this year. And I'm very excited to see what they do next year for sure. Definitely a huge shock and definitely looking forward to not being shocked by them next year, hopefully. Katie, the only thing I've got to say, I feel bad for first-year head coaches in the future because there's going to become this expectation in college football of quick turnarounds when you look at what a G.J. Kinney did, and to some extent, like you said, at Colorado, obviously there was a turnaround from some of the, the low depths uh, in that program. But, Caden, I had to go with a team here that you and I spent the offseason last year kind of dunking on a little bit. We expected them to you know, finish seventh. There was questions on if they'd get three or four wins, and they end up making it to a bowl game and narrowly losing. So for me, Old Dominion was my most surprising team. As I mentioned, they were picked to finish last in that preseason polling. They had a new offensive system that they were going to be putting in place under Kevin Decker. And Gaten, they had a quarterback that I think, if I remember right, had thrown like 14 passes in his career before the year. And honestly, they proved us completely wrong. You're going to remember this. Go ahead and plug your ears. But they did beat App State uh, this year. And who obviously went on to to play for that Sunbelt title game. They played JMU to a one-score game, and Gaten, they made a bowl game You know, after winning uh, two straight to end the year. It was probably one of the more exciting things that happened in the league, beating Georgia State and Georgia Southern down the stretch. And 
Gaten, the turnaround was surprising for me, and they were just a ton of fun to watch this year. They were always in these close games, and uh, for me, that made Old Dominion must-watch television all year, so I think that that was uh, you know, befitting of a biggest surprise. But moving on to our most disappointing, Caden, and this was a, a category that you know, you, you hate to get into, but, you know, for me, Marshall was the most disappointing team in the Sun Belt this year. And, and my reason for that is that was a Marshall team that honestly, when you and I talked in the preseason, we had, you know, them kind of labeled as a dark horse in that Sun Belt East heading into the year. And, um, you know, they, they get off to that great start, but then, you know, they, they looked horrible down the stretch and, you know, the offense looked dreadful at times. Uh, Ali was still good. He put up some numbers, but Cam Fancher and, and really their inability to kind of throw that ball downfield was a major disappointment. I know the fans didn't necessarily enjoy watching uh, their style of football. And Caden, you know, one of the things we did learn and we knew already was that that defense dealt with a, a lot of injuries, but it clearly showed that there just wasn't enough depth. So for me, that Marshall team was a major disappointment in, in 2023. Definitely a major disappointment, Noah, especially for me. This is the team I picked to come out of the East because I thought they'd be good at all the things you kind of just Oops. mapped out that they weren't good at. And and for the team that I'm picking for my most disappointed team, it's the team that I picked to come out of the West that let me down, and it's South Alabama. This is the team, like I said, that I picked to come out of the West in back-to-back -back seasons. They went from a 10-win season to a 7-win season, season, which might not seem like worthy of earning the most disappointed award for, for this conference right now. But I think when you looked at how they absolutely reloaded and how they were primed to double down on that success from 2022, they just weren't able to do it. And we talked about it with JT Crabtree. It was the injuries and the inconsistency of this team. We talked about how this team needed to rise to the occasion and win big games. And they weren't able to do that last year. You looked at what they were doing against Oklahoma State. That's the peak of what they were able to do this year. That's the only team they ended up beating last season that had a winning season. They took care of business against all the teams in the conference they were supposed to. But when it came down to winning those big games, playing good against a James Madison, a Troy, a Tulane to start the year, they weren't able to do it. And as a result, this is a team that only got seven wins. And when you have to give out an honorable mention, sometimes you got to do it. And I have to give that to Southern Miss for the year they had. We didn't necessarily have sky high expectations for this team, but their fan base surely did. They had seven straight losses. And I think definitely think that's worthy of getting an honorable mention in this category. I wasn't necessarily buying into some of the quarterback hype that was surrounding this program heading into the season. I'm not going to give myself an award for forecasting that or anything like that. But I think I liked what I saw at the end of the season for this team as far as the Spark winning two games in conference play. But I think as far as a fan base perspective and the expectations in Hattiesburg, I would have to honorably mention Southern Miss for not necessarily meeting their standards and what they wanted to do last season. Yeah, Kane, I think that's fair when it when it comes to Southern Miss. Uh, we heard all offseason about how good that football team was going to be. And and honestly, if they had stayed healthy, I, I think they would have been a better football team. But clearly that offense underperformed. Frank Gore Jr. wasn't at his best at the beginning of the year. So I, I think that's fair uh, to label them an honorable mention. It's going to be interesting to kind of see how you feel about them, uh, you know, heading into 2024 in a couple of minutes. But Kaden, this was a fun category too, and I'm going to have you go up again. Uh, most resilient team in the league. Who was that for you? Yeah, for me, Coastal Carolina absolutely runs away with this one for me. I think Tim Beck absolutely impressed me this year with what he was able to do with kind of the bad hand he was dealt this year. If you would have told me that arguably the best quarterback in conference history, Grayson McCall quarterback, was going to miss five games, get hurt and miss the last five games of the season and a bowl game, I would not believe that this team was going to finish with an 8-5 and five record, especially starting off conference play 0-2 in back-to-back -back games 
in the East. We talked at length about how impressive that 5-0 stretch was with three different quarterbacks, three different play styles. The defense stepped, stepped up big, which was huge. We saw them kind of have to change their style and the way they win, kind of like the Kansas City Chiefs who were about to see in the Super Bowl, who kind of had to change their offensive style and rely on their defense to get a, a championship run, some successful quarterback play and successful defensive play, took them to the heights they're at now. It was the same thing for this Coastal Carolina team, having to feed their running backs as well. So they just thoroughly impressed me, I think, as far as how resilient they were and what they were able to do. And I have to give another honorable mention out here, kind of in the same token when you talk about what Louisiana had to do this year. This is another team team that had to start three different quarterbacks this year. And for them, it was really a little bit more of an emotional roller coaster. You have to imagine starting the season with Ben Woldridge, then getting just this emotional lift from a, a young quarterback in Zeon Chris, who was able to take this team to new heights, had them thinking that everything was going to be great for the remainder of the season. Then he has the devastating injury. You have to go back to another veteran. So I think as far as this team being able to make a bowl game yet again, for being dealt another bad hand in back-to-back years against Coach Desimo. You have to be impressed with them. We talked about it with Jay Walker. This team's had back-to-back seasons where things have not gone their way, but the fact that they were able to make back-to-back bowl games, and they might have disappointed in those games, but still getting to that kind of 500 mark, that six-win mark, and making that bowl is something, I think, to celebrate. So I had to give them an honorable mention here as well for their resiliency. Yeah, I think those are two very interesting teams. Uh, you know, obviously, it's tough when you lose your leader, your your quarterback won, and, and both of those teams went pretty deep. Uh, down the depth chart, I, I think to your point about Coastal Carolina, maybe the biggest difference between them, you know, getting, you know, even further on is, is maybe if Taylor Swift had started dating, uh, you know, one of their players uh, to go <laughs> along with the, the Chiefs reference there. But Caden, for me, you know, most resilient here, it, it had to be Arkansas State and, and look no further than a 73 nothing loss to start the year. Uh, to Oklahoma, uh, Jalen Rayner, then he ends up, you know, getting that starting job in week three and goes on to put together a Sunbelt Conference uh, freshman of the year type season. Uh, this team was in every game the rest of the way, except for the game against Troy. That one, uh, they were never really close. But then, you know, Caden, you know, how great of a way to end a season by you know, picking up 77 points in week 12. And uh, they probably should have won their bowl game. Let's be honest, that was not an offsides call. Uh, so for me, this is an Arkansas State team that they went through a lot of adversity this year and, and to put together uh, the year that they did, uh, to me, is very deserving of the most resilient team in the conference. And I know this is a team in Arkansas State that you and I are both high on as we look ahead uh, to 2024. But Last category, best in-season turnaround, worst in-season collapse. And, Caden, I'm going to go ahead and and go first here, and it's time to dump on a couple of teams from Georgia. Georgia Southern, and shout-out honorable mention Georgia State for having the worst in-season collapse. They both started the season a combined 12-3, and but then, Caden, down the stretch of the season, they go a combined 1-10, and and that only win was a Georgia State win in the bowl game over Utah State out in Idaho. These two teams, honestly, we both thought midway through the season were legit title hopefuls. Georgia Southern kind of got, you know, a a slight leg up there on Georgia State with that midweek win. But uh, these teams, you know, finished extremely poorly and uh, they made this an easy pick for me in terms of uh, worse in-season collapse this year in the Sun Belt. Yeah, as a Georgia boy, that hurts me a little bit. Not as much for an App State guy who's seeing Georgia Southern be on the losing end and getting that award. But when it comes to the team that had the best in-season turnaround, I mean, how could you not go with App State? I mean, come on. This team started off the year 
three and four following a six and six season that was historically bad. I mean, if you just take a record standpoint, this is a definition of being with your back against the wall. But then when you take the championship expectations that come with this program and the outside noise and hearing about your head coach having to be in the hot seat every single week, having that happen, happen on social media, it's a tough position to be in. But then when you have those losses specifically be a six-point overtime loss to North Carolina, three-point Wyoming loss, three-point Coastal Carolina loss, losing in heartbreaking fashion to Old Dominion, yet you're still able to stay the course and improve throughout the season and go on that incredible run to end the season going 5-0 and all the way back to a championship appearance. You have to just take your hat off to this App State team for showing resilience. You can't say every team in the country, given those expectations and given the start they had to this year and the year they had the year before, being able to go on a run like that, as soon as Halloween hit, Joey Aguilar turned into the scariest quarterback maybe in the country, went on an absolute heater in the month of November. We always talk about they remember November and Boone. They definitely remember the last one we had. They had a lot of fans turning back, cooling down the hot seat of Coach Clark a little bit after kind of lighting it on fire to start the year. So you have to tape your hat off to this App State team for having one of the most impressive in-season turnarounds I think I've seen since I've been playing football, that's for sure. Well, Kane, let's be honest, outside of LeBron James's pregame routine, that might have been the second most chalk that uh, that I've seen <laughs> this week. But uh, we promised the fans in this episode a, a way too early power rankings, Kaden. And, and this is always a, a futile uh, you know, opportunity here. We're sitting in, in February and we're trying to tell you how we think teams are going to play out uh, in the fall. But uh, why not? It's the offseason. We've got some time. So let's jump into it. And Kaden, I'm going to let, I think the best way to do this is we don't want to reveal our top teams right away. So let's go seven through three. I'll let you go first. I'll come back and then we'll get into our top three teams as well. Yeah, we'll start in the East. No, and I'm going with my seven spot. The last projected way too early pick is Georgia State. I mean, I think this team had way too many losses. You look at what they're losing in the transfer portal and just with their seniors in general, and you could argue that no team in the conference is maybe losing more of their production. I mean, you can't discount losing a guy like Darren Granger, who we've talked highly about, Marcus Carroll. Robert Lewis, John Trey Hunter, Bryce Brown, losing some a ton of offensive linemen as well. I think when you look at the production this team had last year, all of it's gone. And when you compare that with what this team did at the end of the season, just kind of falling apart and collapsing, really has me worried about not just their team in general, but the, the culture overall as far as being a stepping stone program, having players leave through the portal and just the disappointing finish to last season. You saw kind of that high ceiling to start the year. And even in that moment, if you look at this team and their hot start to the year, a lot of the reasons why they were so hot and why they were so good to start the season are gone now. So they're at the bottom for me. For Georgia Southern, they're coming in in the number six spot for me. I think J.C. French will do well in this offense. I think offense. I think he's going to add an element with his legs that's going to be a new dynamic, which I really am excited to see paired with Jalen White coming out of the backfield. But I think you also have to look at the defensive side of the ball, and you can say they improved, but I just cannot overreact to them going from giving up 32 points per game to 29 points per game. I think it's going to be huge getting Marquise Watts and Trent back. I think Brandon Bailey at the helm is going to help this defense improve again. But you're looking at a unit that gave up over 40 points in, their la in three of their last five games, including a 38-point loss to Marshall that to end the season. And I just worry about this defense as a whole and kind of their formula overall. And speaking of Marshall, they're who's coming in for the five spot for me. 15 portal additions is huge. Eight of them from the power five. They have to reestablish a new offensive culture, but I think Coach Huff has a really good culture in place outside of the X's and O's. I think they're going to be able to lean on that this entire offseason. It's going to be more so a question about how that new offense looks, how the defense gels after losing a ton of good players and a ton of good leadership. You talk about guys like Owen Porter, or Micah Abraham, Alston going into the transfer portal as well, Eli Neal at linebacker being gone. 
this is a team that lost a lot of key players. I think Coach Huff is going to keep the culture intact, but they're going to have to ask for a lot of new fresh faces to do well and have to kind of reestablish their defensive culture and put in an entirely new offense. But I think they do have some transfer portal pieces that are very exciting and probably for the most probably hottest take on this podcast episode, maybe for who's don't do it. Who's coming at my number four spot? I have to go with James Madison, Noah. This is the wow. Listen, I you have to take the logos off of the helmet sometimes. And I think when you really look at this James Madison team and what they lost from a coach and roster standpoint, I just cannot put them ahead of the teams that I have ahead of them. The most important parts of this team's infrastructure and success the last two seasons are gone. Kirk Signetti is gone. Offensive coordinator Mike Shanahan and the pass game and quarterback uh, or passing game coordinator Tino Sinceri is gone. And that's who Jordan McLeod and Todd Santeo spoke very highly about and attribute their success to. And they are gone. You can't discount the fact that those two players were players of the year in this conference. And I think having to maintain that standard is going to be tough. And when we talked about James Madison last season, the last two years, as far as why they were so good, it's the quarterback position and the defensive line position. And guess who's also gone for this team, Noah? This entire defensive line that was nationally ranked. And Pat Kuntz, who the defensive lineman, we had two on the show, talked about how important he was to their success. That is all gone now. So I think when you look at this team's formula for winning their infrastructure, that is all gone now. And I'm just this early into the offseason having to bet on some teams that are ahead of them that have some more consistencies in that area versus a James Madison team. I think when you look at the legacy and the success this team has had the last couple of years, you can use that as a reason to pick them this early in the offseason. But I think App State taught us last year that culture and success and expectations can only take you so far with them going six and six last year. So from my perspective right now and what I know about James Madison and what's going on in that building and what they've lost, I just have to see them taking a little bit step with a, a little bit of a step back. And I just cannot look overlook how elite the quarterback play, the defensive line play was for this team and not all being gone from a coordinator and player standpoint. So those are my four through seven in the East as we sit in the month of February, very, very far from the season. Well, I can tell JMU Duke fans one thing. Uh, you're going to like uh, Noah Freire uh, a lot better than you <laughs> like Caden Smith. And I believe I've got the case, the stats to back it up that says uh, JMU is going to have uh, another good season. But partner, we agree on Georgia State. That's a lot of star power to lose. Granger, Carroll, Lewis, Hunter, just to name uh, you know, a few. And honestly, when I started looking at the schedule, it's ridiculous. You've got road games at App. You've got a road game at JMU, Marshall, Georgia Tech. And uh, you get two possible West challengers in Arkansas State and Texas State as your crossover matchups. For me, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think it's going to be hard for Georgia State to get to a bowl game this year, uh, given the schedule. But if there was, you know, a, a glimmer of hope, we saw Coach Elliott and this staff reload last year, and they've already brought in some nice pieces out of the transfer portal. So could they do it again? Uh, we'll see, but I'm not betting on it here at the beginning of February. For me, uh, you know, me and you have Marshall and Georgia Southern flip-flopped. I've got uh, Marshall at, at number six. I think I'm excited to see this new offense, but we're also going to have quite the quarterback competition going on. You're not going to have Rasheen Ali and you know, when you're bringing in a new offense partner, you just don't know how things are going to gel. Like I said, I think G.J. Kinney set the bar pretty high, uh, but those expectations aren't always realistic. One silver lining for Marshall, I do like their home schedule this year, and they're over 600 in terms of winning percentage at home under Coach Huff. So I think that gives me enough hope that despite some of the other challenges, that there's a real chance that this team's going uh, to a bowl game in 2024. Georgia Southern, I've got them at number five, Caden. And for me, the big reason why, they're bringing back some nice weapons. I love Jalen White. I love Derwin Burgess. I think they're two of the more exciting players uh, in the Sunbelt Conference. 
like you said, though, is J.C. French the guy? I think we don't know the answer to that. And, and you know, one of the things that Danny Reed mentioned, too, that offensive line's got to be rebuilt if they want to be successful. I do expect to continue to see some more defensive improvement. Obviously, they switched the system up. You bring in a new D.C. this year. You brought in a lot of new pieces. I think a second recruiting cycle is really going to help Georgia Southern out in that depth factory. Um, but, you know, for me, the, the biggest thing that's got to change for Georgia Southern, for me to even consider them as a contender in the future, they've got to start winning in November. They're one in nine in two seasons under Clay Helton in the month of November. That's got to change. And game, the only win that they had, go ahead and plug your ears again here. That was the double overtime game in 2022 versus App State that kept App State out of a bowl game. But uh, they need to go three and one in a tough non-conference that includes games uh, against Boise State and others. So that, it's not going to be easy for Georgia Southern. Caden, here's where we start to differ a little bit. I went with another team uh, from the state of Virginia at number four, and it was Old Dominion. And for me, this is a compliment to see them this high. Uh, I I was tempted, honestly, uh, to put them higher. They've got their starting quarterback coming back. You've got another year in this offense. And I started looking at that running back depth chart. Uh, they're bringing back pretty much everyone uh, except you know for their leading running back, Kadarius Callaway. They're bringing back their top three wide receivers. and. And that's just on offense. And you mentioned it on defense, uh, you know, or you haven't yet because you've got them ranked a little bit higher. But, you know, particularly in the secondary, they were hit pretty hard. You do have Jason Henderson back, but I think there's some questions defensively. And Caden, again, Old Dominion's a team. They played in 11 one-score games a season ago. They go six and five. If you turn a couple of those around and suddenly you're in the title hunt uh, in this conference. So that's how I'm going. I think we're pretty much on the same page here. I'm interested uh, to kind of break into these uh, these top threes now. Yeah, you mentioned it and you gave me a perfect cue up for my number three seed. I'm calling my shot right now and give me the Monarchs. This is a team that's going to be a championship contender next year. You mentioned those 11 close games. You turn those 11 close games into wins and we're talking about this team a lot differently. And I'm not afraid to start talking about this team differently right now. I think when you look at an offseason and them improving, that's going to be their motivation all offseason. Those close losses, how close they were to getting to the mountaintop. So give me the Monarchs as the three. I think the returning quarterback, Grant Wilson, who we're both high on, we saw that he can do it with his arm and his legs. And I expect him to take another leap and be even better next year in another season and an off season in this offensive system. That's extremely quarterback and extremely skill player friendly. You mentioned the running backs returning. Darius Callaway, I believe, is in the transfer portal after averaging seven yards a carry. But Keyshawn Wixon's back. He had five yards a carry. Every player in the running back room last year had their best season yet as far as their touches and what they were able to do in this offense. And I think it's because they have those light boxes, they'll be able to operate. And I think the receivers are going to be be able to operate as well. You mentioned how many receivers they're bringing back from that room. These wideouts are going to have explosive plays and one-on-one coverage. Their two top guys had 17 yards of pop last year. This defense, like I said, the year before was underrated because of how much of a disservice their offense was. Now they got a little bit more offensive help. You see them get into the top five and scoring. Jason Henderson's back for his last season. I think this team going to really rally around him and his leadership, especially. I think he's going to be fearless. I think he's going to be getting after it this offseason. And I think the mantra, like I mentioned before, is going to be turning those close losses into wins. They beat App State, improved themselves, knocking on the door of a team that was in the championship, a four-point loss to Coastal, and a three-point loss to James Madison. If they win those two games, we're talking about this team a lot differently. So book it right now. I'm going to start talking differently about them right now, like I mentioned. So give me them as my three. Number two, I'm going with Coastal Carolina. Like I talked about before, as far as the resilience before with the superlatives, Tim Beck absolutely impressed me this offseason, or this season rather, and I think he's going to be even more impressive this offseason. If he was able to get eight wins with three different quarterbacks, imagine what he can do with an entire offseason 
being able to evaluate that quarterback room and really build a proper attack for whoever is the starter. You lose some weapons, obviously, at wide receiver. You cannot replace Jared Brown, a, a friend of the podcast that we had as well, and Jared Pinckney. And I think what you saw from Ethan Vasco improving throughout the season, I think if he is the starter, he will be one of the premier dual threats in this conference. He's a big body. I love how he runs, and he really showed off his arm and his passing ability as well in that bowl game. And I really like him, especially if he's the starter next year. But I think even with a guy like Noah Kim, a talented transfer from Michigan State, a Big Ten program, I think this quarterback room is just going to brew some good competition. They're going to get the most out of that room. And we talked about it before with the resilience. The reason why this team was able to be so successful was the improvement in the defense under Craig Nybar. I honestly think his defensive personnel was a little bit less talented than it was than before he arrived. And the fact that he was able to get that out of them, I think they're going to double down on it this year. JT Killen and some other guys are big losses, but I think he proved that he's a coordinator on the defensive side of the ball to be reckoned with as far as what he was able to do in his first season at Coastal Carolina. And with the top seed, you have to pick App State. I mean, I think this is a team that's absolutely reloaded on offense. <laughs> they have the best quarterback in the conference returning. They have all the wide receivers back except for De Deshaun Davis. You get another year of Caden Robinson. You get Christian Horm coming back, which is huge for this team. Very underrated as far as him coming back as one of the top wide receivers in the conference. And you have Plenty of other pieces on the offensive side to work with. Kanye Roberts, I think, is going to be primed for an excellent breakout year. The offensive line had to replace their tackles last year, but this year I have to replace their interior. So I feel like that's the only question mark to really have to answer on that side of the ball. And I think on the defensive side of the ball, they proved last year they can prove and adapt throughout the season. And I think they'll be able to do that again this offseason, figuring out where their personnel match best being able to show off that IQ that they were able to do kind of adjusting on the fly all the way into their championship run, give this unit a full season back with some linebackers that were very long, young last year, a defensive line that was very young last year. They'll come back with an extra swagger. And I think the biggest thing for this program is just the continuity of the coordinator positions. You talk about coach Sloan coming back, Scott Sloan, the defensive coordinator, another year in his system, Frank Ponce, another year in his system. That's something you don't see a lot of app state, especially given a season where you make the championship game. So I think just given the personnel, the cachet of this program and what they were from a roster and a coach standpoint, hard not to pick the Mountaineers as the top seed going into the East next season. Okay, and all I got to say is it's crazy the difference one offseason uh, makes. I mean, we were sitting here at this time last year. Uh, you were not very high on your boys from Boone, and, and suddenly after uh, a year that they lose in the Sunbelt Championship game, uh, you're ready to talk about them all offseason long. So uh, that's, a, that's an interesting pick here uh, in February. Kaden, for me, top three looked something like this. Uh, checking in at number three was Coastal Carolina, and you mentioned it, and, and I'll say it as well. I've got a lot of faith in Tim Beck. He, he won eight games despite having three different quarterbacks. That, that says a lot uh, about a head coach, uh, particularly someone who didn't have any head coaching experience uh, ahead of this job. But, Kaden, you also mentioned the quarterback options, and I think that has me you know, really excited for this Coastal Carolina team. Ethan Vasco was excellent down the stretch. He was fantastic. In that bowl game, you mentioned Noah Kim, the former Michigan State starter. You've even got Blake Boda, who we saw a little bit this year. They're going to find a quality quarterback out of that room. And the one thing uh, that I know about Tim Beck is uh, he knows how to, to build quality quarterbacks. Obviously, you can look at the track record uh, going back to names like Joe Burrow. But the defense was good this year for me for Coastal Carolina. I think uh, they've proven that they can bring in some Power 5 level bodies into that program. And I'm expecting... Uh, to see Tim Beck and staff do something very similar here in the offseason. They're going to continue to bring in those guys. And honestly, I'm not uh, expecting much of a drop-off defensively for this team. Kaden, I'll be honest, though, I couldn't put them any higher because this is a team that, that lost to JMU by a combined 82 points in the last two years. And until they can prove that they can play with the big boys, uh, a team like James Madison, it, it's hard for me to put them ahead. And 
that's the perfect segue into my number two team. And Kaden, you took the Dukes at number four. I think you're crazy, and here's why. Um, for me, this is a little bit of a legacy pick. You you look at this JMU team. They've not had a losing season in over 20 years. Their last losing season was back in 2002. And I'm not expecting one this year, despite the number of losses. I dug a little bit deeper. Eight or more wins in nine of the last 10 years. They went 7-1 and one in that COVID year, or else they would have had uh, eight or more wins in 10 consecutive seasons. The standard is winning at James Madison, and I'm expecting them to do more of that this year. Couple other things here. For me, Caden, every time you look at programs, you know, money talks. You've got to look at the money. And by far and away, James Madison has the biggest athletic budget. Money, you know, equals success in college football, unless, let's be honest, you're Auburn or Texas AM. They seem to throw money around uh, year in and year out. But at the G5 level, that point largely stands firm. And it's a big reason why I don't think we're going to see this big drop off. We are seeing a lot of losses. Uh, you mentioned, you know, a lot of the guys on offense, but you also that defensive line, you're losing everyone. Can they restock? I think that's a big question for Bob Chesney and this staff. And Caden, here's here's the stat that sealed it for me. We've talked about Jeff Bourne's influence on this James Madison athletic department. He hires Bob Chesney away from a very successful Holy Cross program. Caden, new hires under Jeff Bourne as head football coaches. We're talking about Everett Withers. We're talking about Houston. We're talking about Signetti. A combined 37 and 7 in their first years at JMU. So he's assembled a great coaching staff, and, and I'm not betting against the James Madison Dukes having uh, another good season here despite some of their losses. And, Caden, much like you, I'm going App State at the top. Uh, they're returning uh, Joey Aguilar, the Sunbelt Newcomer of the Year, uh, you know, behind McLeod. I think he was the league's best quarterback, and he brings, you know, his top weapon back in Caden Robinson. Uh, they've got a lot of momentum, unlike, you know, going into this past year, they were six and one in their final seven games, including, uh, that bull win. You mentioned the continuity on staff. I think that's going to be huge. Uh, and for me, the biggest thing, the biggest thing holding app state back, potentially, they are playing a gauntlet of a schedule. You got to go on the road to Marshall on the road to Georgia Southern on the road to coastal Carolina. You've got Liberty and Clemson in your non-conference. Plus you get South Alabama on a trip to Louisiana in Lafayette, uh, is your crossover. So Things not going to be easy there uh, for the Mountaineers. So, Caden, I think, you know, for the most part, uh, we're kind of on the same page here. I think we agree at the top. Uh, James Madison seemed to be the, the biggest difference between you and I. Yeah, no, I just feel like a lot of the reasons why you picked James Madison are things in the past, things of James Madison's legacy. I think when you look at a program like Alabama this year, I don't think Alabama is going to be picked to win the SEC just because Nick Saban won championships for them in the past. Even I think it should be even more accentuated for a James Madison team who a lot of the statistics you were using were from their FCS playing days. I think money does win games, but I ultimately think when you look at on the field for this team, the players, the coaches that were there last year and the year before that breeded success, that's not there for them anymore. I just think James Madison has to prove it. I don't think they're going to take a tremendous step back. I do not think James Madison is going to have a losing season by any means, but I do think as far as what they were able to do last year, their recipe for success is fully gone. They have completely new straps staffs in the kitchen, you could say. And I think they just have to prove it to me a little bit more compared to other teams who look at their personnel, look at their coaching staffs and what they have ahead of them. They have proven it to me more last year versus what the James Madison team doesn't have com coming into this season. So I definitely see what you're saying. I think if James Madison does do what they did the last couple of years, it won't be surprising. But I think from my perspective, it'll be a little bit more surprising just given how successful they've been and how much of that success is now out the door. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think uh to, uh, agree to disagree here early on in the offseason, but that's what makes these uh, fun. Okay, let's move on quickly to the uh, the Sunbelt West here. And 
I'll go ahead and go first year, you know, seven through four. I had to put ULM in the basement. I mean, they, at this point, they, they don't deserve to be any higher. I am excited about the Bryant Vincent hire in this new era. Uh, this is a team that, um, you know, was very competitive. As Mike Hammett told us when we talked to him uh, on Wednesday's episode, they, you know, played tight games against App State, Georgia Southern, and Texas State. They couldn't win any of those. Had they won one of those, uh, maybe it changed their season. But for now, ULM is in the bottom. Caden, this next one up, uh, Southern Miss fans in Hattiesburg are not going to like it. Uh, I labeled them our most disappointing team, and, uh, you know, I think that was fair. Uh, we thought last year they could win eight games. They finished three and nine. I think we drank too much of the Kool-Aid in the offseason. Maybe we listened to too much on Twitter at times, but I'm not doing that this year. I think they're going to be better than three and nine, but I don't see this team making a massive leap into championship contention. We've said all along they're a quarterback away. I do think there are some nice pieces there. Ethan Crawford, Tate Rotemaker, John White. Uh, I think there's this is probably the most exciting quarterback uh, room that Will Hall's had in his tenure. So, you know, if he finds a quarterback, maybe they can they can leap up these rankings. Again, challenging schedule for them. They start the year at Kentucky. They've got a road game against Jacksonville State, who was really good in their first year uh, in Conference USA. They draw Marshall and JMU away, and then you got to play Troy and Texas State, who I think are both better than them on the road. There just aren't a lot of guaranteed wins right now for Southern Miss. Louisiana, I, I think the reason I've got them at number five is they've got a pretty low ceiling at quarterback, in my opinion. Zeon Chris, if he was back, I'd have this team two to three spots higher. Uh, Fields and Wooldridge, though, they just, for me, don't have a ton of upside. Uh, Louisiana has kind of struggled to stay healthy, three quarterbacks in each of the last two seasons. And there's questions, you know, at quarterback. It just doesn't really allow me to go much higher. I do think the defense is going to be really good. Again, they had a lot of guys get seasoning this year. I think this is a top five unit uh, once again. So if the offense can catch up, maybe they get into contention. Last year, Louisiana had the easiest schedule or one of the easiest schedules uh, in all of FBS. We can't forget uh, Liberty and somehow uh, they ended up playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. But uh, they've got Tulane in week three. When you're talking about Louisiana, they've got Wake Forest in week four. You've got to go to Coastal Carolina. You've got App coming home. So. Um, can they win tight games? And, and so far, the answer has been no uh, under Mike Desermo. So that's got to change. If it does, maybe Louisiana jumps a little bit higher. Kate, and this is where I went off the rails. And, and honestly, I would have had Texas State a lot higher. I've got them at number four. If it wasn't for all this drama going on down in San Marcos right now, I had them as my number one team heading into you know the offseason. But then you bring in Delora, Finley leaves. It seems like some people maybe got a little bit greedy down there. And now, without a clear-cut quarterback one in early February, I'm concerned. They did grab Finley late last year. Hey, maybe Jordan McLeod is still in the transfer portal. Maybe they go get him. That'd be interesting. But the one thing that I love about Texas State, I think they've got the two best offensive pieces in the conference back in Ismail Mahdi and Joey Hobart. Uh, I think you can make the argument that they're RB1 and, and wide receiver one right now. Uh, so despite that lack of the quarterback, I think the offense is still going to be good. And Caden, G.J. Kinney's a game changer. His ability to recruit the transfer portal and the high school ranks, he turned this program around in year one. And, and for me, I sit here and say, what could he do with a second recruiting class? So that's why I've got Texas State sitting at number four right now. Definitely a solid list, Noah. I, again, we have some disagreements, so this will be a little bit more fun, I think, even more fun than it was when we disagreed a little bit on the East. I'll make the first two quick because we have the same number seven and the number six, ULM. Had to put them at the bottom, obviously. Bryant Vincent era is going to begin. And I think just given what they did last year and not being able to win a single conference game, I am excited about this program. I think there's going to be a ton of competition in the offseason. We talked on the 
previously about this team and how they were able to be more competitive in the last couple of seasons. I do think they will be more competitive. I think they have great leadership with Aiden Huntington on the defensive side of the ball, but I ultimately think this team is going to finish in the bottom of the game, but I, the bottom again, but I do think they will be more competitive this season. Same thing with Southern Miss. You talked about the quarterback away mantra for this team. I am very excited about this quarterback room. It has more potential, I think, than ever. I like the cachet of Tate Rodemaker coming as a high recruit, a guy who's been at Florida State. I love what we saw with Ethan Crawford last year with his legs, but you don't have the legs of Frank Gore Jr. again this season. I think this defense will get back to their standard. They were absolutely decimated last year. I think they will be in a better spot next year. I think they will be more competitive. They'll get more wins. But I ultimately think they're going to be in the bottom of the conference again this early in the offseason. This is where we start going a little bit different, Noah. And if anyone listens to this podcast and knows how I feel about this team, it truly breaks my heart to put them this low. But at number five, I just have to put South Alabama. I cannot overreact to Gio Lopez having a great game against a terrible Eastern Michigan team in a bowl game that did not beat a single winning team last year. We talk about the success of this team the last couple of years. Carter Bradley was a key to that success. Damian Webb was a key to that success. Those guys are gone. We talked it's with JT Crabtree about how much Carter means to this program. He is now gone. I think Major Applewhite is an excellent play caller, will be a great head coach for the squad. I'm not worried about the offense. I'm very excited about pieces like Braylon McReynolds, like a Jamal Pritchett. But I think when you look at this team on the defensive side of the ball, that's where I'm the most uneasy, and that's where I worry the most. You lose your head coach in Kane Womack, who's predicated on that defensive side of the ball, making them the attack that they have been. And when you lose seven starters as well, that's just an area for concern for me. And I think the biggest area of concern, ultimately, to reference back to the JT Crabtree conversation was had we had was him talking about the leadership of this team being an issue last year. If the leadership of your team was an issue last year and you had one of the most experienced teams in the entire country, I cannot pick you to be at the top three of this conference in this division for as competitive as it is when your team is going to be even younger this year and even less talented than it was the year before. So I just had to drop this team very similarly. Similarly, they disappointed us last year, and I'm expecting at this point of the offseason for them to disappoint us again. And kind of in the same vein of James Madison, I have to drop Troy. I hated to do it again, but I'm dropping Troy to the four spot for myself. I think I have too much respect for what Coach Summerall did in this program. This team before Coach Summerall came looked a certain way. Y'all can look up the record and see what this team looked like before he came. And after he leaves, I think it'd be more realistic to expect them to look like that than the team we saw the past two years. There's just too many losses on this staff. There's too many losses on this team for all of the reasons that I gave them the award I did when we did superlatives. All of those things are gone. Gunnar Watson, who improved, is gone. You lose key weapons in a Kamani Vidal. You lose a ton of guys on the offensive line. This defense was able to keep enough pieces intact to be elite again, but now they're going to have to play some younger players and some more inexperienced players, and they've been absolutely decimated, I think, when you look at the defensive side of the ball, specifically that front, when you look at losing a Juvenor, losing a Solomon, losing a TJ Jackson. I think those are the foundational pieces of the culture of this program, and that culture, along with their head coach, is gone, so I had to put them at the four spot. I hated me, I hated to do it for James Madison and Troy, both of them, but I think there's a lot of parallels. I think when you look in today's college football with coach turnover, the transfer portal, when you have that championship run, I think it's going to be harder to replicate than ever, just given the amount of turnover that we're seeing in today's game of college football. And I just can't put Troy back in that conversation without their head coach. If Coach Summerall alone is back with the roster that they have right now, I'm putting them at the one seat, but I just cannot put those same expectations with a completely new staff and an even more decimated roster. So I just had to put Troy at this four spot as much as it hurt me. Yeah, Caden, I, I definitely see the point. I think I just believe in a couple of these programs' cultures a little bit more. I mean, I think of those two programs that maybe you and I or we are going to disagree on, uh, I, I believe in Troy's culture a little bit more. I just think that their their roster is, you know, has been decimated, uh, both through guys going to the draft as well as into the transfer portal. But 
Let's move on to, you know, the top three here for me. You've got Arkansas State. I've got them at number three. They are going to be riding momentum. They're coming off of their first bowl trip since 2019, and there's a lot of reasons to be excited. I think that fan base is going to get behind them. I love Jalen Rayner, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. With TJ Finley gone uh, in a situation that I think Texas State messed up royally, I think Jalen Rayner is the best returning quarterback in the Sun Belt West. Uh, heading into this year. If he makes that next step, I think he's going to be in contention for another major award this year. Defense is a question for Arkansas State, which didn't allow me to go much higher with them. You're losing Javante Mackey, which is a big loss. This was, uh, you know, a team that, you know, was the weaker unit last year uh, defensively. They've got some young guys who got experience. Can they take another step? I think that's going to be interesting. Okay, and I did go back the last time Butch Jones was in year four to stop at Tennessee. He was nine and four in year four. And I think with the more experienced roster, I think eight wins is not out of the question right now uh, for Arkansas State. Talking Troy, again, we mentioned the run of success 23 and five over the last two seasons. I'm buying into uh, the culture. I bet against them in the preseason last year, and I'm not doing it again here. Uh, a lot of offensive losses, like you said, with Watson, Vidal, who was the league's best running back, Barber at wide receiver. Uh, that's a lot of elite play on offense that you're losing. But I'm and I'm more concerned about this offense than the defense. I think the defense is going to undergo a lot of change. But we've also seen, you know, a ton of talent year in and year out defensively from this unit. So I'm not betting against the defense here. Uh, I do like Jared Parker. He's constructed a great staff. Troy is committed to winning. We saw their commitment with the indoor facility. They've done a ton of work in the portal and the high school recruiting. Uh, and I'm expecting all that to pay off. They're going to look different, but uh, I, I think they're going to challenge for a third straight title uh, this season. And Caden, this is where I went a little crazy. I took South Alabama at number one. And my reason why I am buying into the hype of this offense, Gio Lopez had the huge bowl game. They've got Braylon McReynolds back. He, he should be healthy. Uh, you've got Jamal Pritchett. You're getting Devin Boyson back from injury. I think that could be an elite duo. Offensive line has a few holes that they're going to have to plug up. The defense, though, that is concerning. I'll give you that. Uh, you lose Kane Womack and Corey Batoon on that defensive staff. You're losing guys like Yam Banks, but you're getting back Khalil Jacobs, who JT Crabtree was really high on. You're getting Jaden Boyson back as well. So uh, I still expect this team to be a, a top three to five defense uh, in this league. I think leadership quality is a big question mark. Are these guys going to be able to lead this year? And uh, coaching hire drop-off, I just don't think we're going to see much. I'm really excited about Major Applewhite. The players are excited about it. He's offensive-minded, and I'm expecting big things from this team in 2024. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to go in the West. And I think as compared to the East, there's not really many bad picks. I think when you look at kind of our top five, I I disagree with some of the stuff you say, but there's definitely universes where I can close my eyes. And I think both of you and me would agree. We could see probably five teams coming out of the West. So I'm definitely excited to see where they go this season. I think with my three, I had to go with Louisiana. You said they had a low ceiling at the quarterback position, but what they do have is experience and more experience than any other team below them in my rankings when it comes to the quarterback position is the duo of Ben Fields and Wooldridge, my favorite in the entire conference? Absolutely not. But these guys have been in big moments before. They've won big games. I really like what Wooldridge was able to bring to the table early in the season and just historically with his legs, with this offense. This offense is going to be able to run the ball against what they did last year. It's what they'll do again this year. And I think when you look at their defense, especially, is where I'm really excited. The defense has won the West the last two years. And I think when you look at who's bringing back the most on defense, there's not many teams in the West that are bringing back as much as this Louisiana team that played at a absolutely young team last year and still managed to be a 
a top four team in the conference when it came to holding teams to yardage per game, top five in sacks. They have to stop some explosive plays. That was their biggest issue. And I think with age and another year of experience, they'll be able to show that and limit those explosive plays. And I also think that championship culture is still there. We've talked about culture with a lot of teams. And I do think this team being able to get to six wins the last two seasons is a testament to their culture, just given the hand they were dealt. I think if things go their way better with health this season, I think the young players are going to double down on their success from the year before. I think this Louisiana team is going to be a sleeper and I have them being a contender in the West at the three spot. At number two, I had to go with Arkansas State, Noah. They literally only have to fix one thing, and it's the defense, and they'll be just fine. We know how strongly I feel about Jalen Rayner, and you took the words out of my mouth. This is the best quarterback coming back on this side of the conference, and everyone is going to be scared of him coming into his next year. From what he showed as a freshman, if he comes back, I expect the opposite of a sophomore slump and him getting even better next year. And I truly think when you see a guy like a quarterback in Malik Hornsby at Texas State being willing to change positions to play for this quarterback, I think that says a lot about what we think we have for the quarterback position here. And I think if we surround him with more weapons, he'll be just fine. His entire offensive line is coming back, including Jacob Bayer, who we've had on the podcast, first team all-conference center, who's going to anchor things up front. I think this offense is going to take a tremendous leap. All this team has to do is fix their defense and they'll be fine. And I think Butch Jones, given his savvy, you mentioned his track record. This is a guy, when it comes to this point of him being at programs, this is usually where you see the turnaround. You mentioned the 9-4 and four season for Tennessee. This is going to be where they knock on the door, and I think they take that step. All he has to do this offseason is fix that defense, and they're going to be right in the title hunt because of their quarterback and because of what they were able to do last year. Jacob Bayer told us this is a team that didn't feel like a losing team before. I think the culture is there. They believe in Butch. Butch believes in them. I think they're going to be a title contender. And for all of the reasons I've been picking these teams when we talk about coach continuity and specifically quarterback continuity, it's probably weird for me to put Texas State as my number one team. But I think for this Texas State team, it's going to be quarterback plug and play. I do expect them to get somebody in the spring window. They are up here for me because I think they will get a quarterback in the spring window and he will be able to do similar things that TJ Finley was able to do last year. And I think if you're a quarterback in the transfer portal, why would you not want to play for this offense when you mentioned they have Joey Hobart? You mentioned them having Ishmael Mahdi in the backfield. They're going to be just fine on offense, no matter who's playing quarterback for them, I think. These are pre very early rankings, so if some things don't go their way, you'll see this team drop for me. But I do think all they have to do is plug that position, and they're just in a similar situation as Arkansas State. They're just a little bit older, more experienced, and more proven from the year before. They have to just get better on defense, and I really like what I saw from their defense compared to Arkansas State and some other teams that are up here for contenders in the West. They gave up 33 a game, but I love their aggressiveness. They have a bunch of huge players to replace when you talk about Jordan Revels, you talk about a Holloway who went off in the bowl game. But I think this team winning eight games last year was beyond impressive. I cannot discount that. Their entire coaching staff is coming back. Their entire offense damn near is coming back. And I think all you have to do is put the right quarterback and the right point guard in the position to take this team back to their to some success that they've never seen before. So give me Texas State as the top contender and the number one team in the West, expecting them to plug a quarterback in there and him to do well in the next season. Yeah, Kane, I think if you get a quarterback, like I said, I mean, if TJ Finley was there, this was my number one team uh, in the West heading into the year. I think, you know, if they can get someone here in the spring transfer portal window, I, I do agree with you. I think it's quarterback plug and play. We saw TJ Finley get there in July and obviously look at the numbers uh, that he put up. So I think Texas State's a good team. And, and I, I agree with you on that Arkansas State pick. I think we both like them uh, heading into this coming year. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Uh, we hope you all enjoyed uh, the show. Don't forget, we're coming back on Monday. We're launching into our latest series. We're calling it Trending Topics. We're going to be discussing some of the biggest topics affecting the Sunbelt Conference. The series will start with a discussion about the upcoming 12-team college football playoff and how it affects the league. Make sure you join us. 
That'll do it for us here at the Farron Smith Podcast. Before you go, here's one thing you can do for us. Tell one of your Sunbelt-loving friends about the show. Help us make the show bigger than it's ever been. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Thank you.